when was the last time you heard from her, hey? Uh, was it a group or was it a female? Actually, I never used to figure that out, but uh, I remember that music from way, way back. So that song was Echoes in Rain. If you've just joined us, it's seven minutes past four here on Sound Awake. Happy Africa Day to you. Uh, some of you not really happy about Africa Day celebrations. And a message via our SMS from Sir Mayo says... Yes, Asa, I agree with Braji. Africa Day should be celebrated by those who benefit, such as politicians and their families. And then uh, Albert, our truck driver, says, uh, Morning, Asanda and your team, I don't celebrate Africa Day. We don't have democracy in Africa. People are being killed, abducted every day in Zim. In Uganda, people are killed daily. Shame on our leaders. If we got five people like CIC Malema, Africa will be free. Uh, thanks, Albert. And you're on your way from Joburg to Vendhu. Please drive safe. Uh, that's quite a long journey there. Lovely hearing from you, Albert. Trending topics time it is now. Trending news right now. Dr. Mejima Koba, social commentator, joins us to discuss social media trends in the last 24 hours. Good morning, Dr. Makoba. How are you today? Good morning, Asanda. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Happy Africa Day to you. I don't know how you feel about this day. Africa Day, I think Africa Day is a joke because, as I said yesterday, that Africans remain cultural minorities in their own countries. So there's no point in, in celebrating the day because the oppressed do not have cultures because their culture is kind of separated from the political economy. So I do not see the point of celebrating this because culture should be the fulcrum of economic development. And in Africa, we don't have such luxury. How do we switch it, though? Because it was an important day with the organization of African Unity being formed, now the African Union. How do we go back to those quests for unity on the continent that this body was supposed to represent and that political and economic emancipation of the people of Africa? I think there has to be, like, we should revisit to what Gwamengaruma Muammar Gaddafi and Robert Sovukwe invested about African unity. And I don't think in the past 20 years, organizations such as the African Union and SADC have really understood that central uh, message of unity because, uh, if, for instance, it's quite easy, it's difficult to travel to Africa than to travel to Europe or to travel mm. to Asia. And it shows that our colonial borders are still much intact. It's hard to do business amongst it's difficult for African countries to do business amongst themselves. And until we deal with those specific issues, then we should forget about celebrating this type of thing. Because I think uh, celebrating Africa Day should be to do with Africans taking decisions against, I mean, about their own future, mm. taking decisions about how they share power in the African continent. But unfortunately, there's still a third hand that is running Africa and we cannot really celebrate Africa Day while we're not yet free. Yeah. And our first uh, trending topic doesn't really help in us switching our mindsets to one that's more positive because uh, it speaks of corruption. So we're talking uh, hashtag Zuelim Kize, the Department of Health, and uh, the former personal spokesperson and longtime friend of Dr. Zuelim Kize, Tahira Mehta, and Mkize's former personal assistant, Nadira Mita. They are at the center of an alleged looting frenzy involving Digital Vibes, a firm that got 150 million rand for questionable communication services. So this 
This was for the scheduling of Dr. Mkiza's media briefings, a whole 150 million rand. Yeah, it's quite shocking. And this is a classic example of how political connections have been working in South Africa since 1994. And I know Mkiza would say that uh, he doesn't know these people and he doesn't know how they do business. And that could be a serious lie because these are people who are close to him. Although you cannot pin down issues of conflict of interest in terms of the law, but culturally, these are issues of uh, political connections and how they've helped politicians and different people who are close to politicians to make money through the state. And I think he must come out and tell us the truth and demonstrate that he actually knew about this contract. But it's also kind of been optimistic because he's saying he's going to allow a law enforcement agency to look into the matter. And I think that's something positive. We hope that what once the report come out, comes out, there would be some people who are held accountable for this mess because Mukiza in the past year has been doing good for himself. He has a very good reputation in South Africa. And I think this scandal mm-hmm. is going to cancel everything that he stood for in the last 12 months. It's just, yeah, one of those. And it looks like it might lead into another commission because, I mean, now we're talking health. And right now that's at the center of everything with COVID-19 and the pandemic. And then the questions might arise in terms of, is that why the rollout for vaccines has been slow then? Is that why we're having debates about schools closing uh, where certain schools are not even adhering to standards of, you know, sanitizing and disinfecting the schools? It's going to, you know, lead to so many questions. Do you see another commission even being... Uh, as a result of this? I think uh, the, I don't foresee any establishment of a commission because corruption in the health sector has kind of been normalized. Uh, hospitals have been looted. The maintenance aspect of hospitals is quite shocking. And it shows that there's money being allocated for such uh, services and maintenance issues, but it's not been implemented because the money has been looted. But, you know, in South Africa, politicians have also developed mechanisms of dodging persecution and they can steal without being noticed And because our democratic processes are not yet strong and it's quite easy to steal without being caught by the law because we don't have strong legal infrastructures and political will to enforce those things. So, I don't foresee any uh, commission, and I think it's quite sad that uh, if you check since 1994, the, the state of hospitals in South Africa is really quite shocking because there's money being put aside for these developments, but it has been channeled elsewhere or it has been looted where contracts are awarded, but there's no evidence of where the, the money for the contract has been used. Mm. The worst in this case with Digital Vibes receiving this 150 million rand for alleged communication service is the third parties that have pocketed as well because some 90 million rand was channeled to entities set up by Meta and Meta to businesses and personal accounts and family, immediate family members. I mean, clearly that's just now being, I don't know if I can use the word sloppy, in, in almost saying we know we're not going to get caught anyway. The, the arrogance of that and, and yeah, shopping sprees, luxury clothing brands, spa treatments, home renovations. I mean, these guys went to literally paint the town red with the state's coffers. Yes, I think and that's what has been happening in the past eight years about how the tax money has been spent in South Africa. And I think that's just a textbook example of what has been happening since 1994. And I think the state should try by all means to recover the money because if you are awarding a contract 
of 150 million and only 27% of the money spent on on the actual work, we really need to be given explanation of why did the contract worth so much amount of money and only just 27% was used for the actual work. And mm. and in, in many cases, you find that there is money being spent, but 0% of it has actually gone to the beneficiaries. And it's quite shocking how corruption has actually become a normal process under the ANC government. And it's quite sad that each time when there's a contract, whether the work has not been done or the work is quite sloppy and nobody's been held accountable because politicians do protect each other. They, they've got a lot of explaining to do, uh, these guys, because, I mean, from a media perspective, we know how uh, communications works. We know how public press releases work and in the scheduling of interviews and all of that, it would definitely not uh, warrant 40 million rand to be spent. Over and above that, there are the department's own communications officials. So what are they doing? I mean, this is a task that would normally fall under them. There's spokespersons, there's communications officials. Why would an entire company be given 40 million rand to do a job that's already supposed to have people who are to do it already set up in the department? So many questions. Yeah, it shows that uh, actually the contract was some form of a looting scheme because if, if they don't inflate prices for government services, uh, they either find loopholes on how they can siphon state coffers or siphon state money to do to for personal enrichment. And I think in, in this context, they've been caught with their pants down and they really need to explain what happened, why did they outsource uh, such a basic service when they have an internal communications team. And I think the minister, as the CEO of the department, also has to explain why did that happen, and he needs to take us into confidence and give us explanation and more comprehensive explanations. All right, let's talk hashtag uh, Lika Ben. Now, we've been talking about a looming third wave of COVID-19 and how schools can be affected, but uh, the uh, National Liquor Traders Council could also be affected, and they have requested a meeting with the presidency. So, I mean, they understand uh, what needs to happen in terms of COVID-19 and making sure the numbers stay down, but they also want a balance in terms of solutions so that we are aware of uh, making sure people are safe, but also we are, we support, uh, you know, um, the the industry. It doesn't get killed, uh, so to speak. I think it's a quite tricky situation because alcohol is one of the key aspects of economic development in South Africa. And just to ban it like that is going to affect the economy, even though this sounds so immoral that uh, South Africans love their beer and it's, it's, it's kind of giving the president his team a serious headache because, I mean, banning alcohol has also cultural issues because people in this country love to socialize using alcohol as the center. And I, I think at the same time, I don't think the country has the luxury to ban alcohol at this stage, even though COVID-19 is the serious problem because un- unemployment has been on the rise and the ban is going to inflict more pain on the economy. And we also have to really think about alcohol issues in the long term in this country because I, I feel like alcohol is too accessible in this country. It's accessible in terms of buying. And I think if they can think about making alcohol more expensive, that's where we could have maybe solutions in the long term that alcohol is not really freely accessible to people. That if you if you buy one bottle, 
you really have to be think twice. But it's not the case at this moment. People can just buy as many bottles as they can and still con- continue with their lives. And well, that's the thing because we saw then the illicit trade of alcohol, or you know, saw reports on the illicit trade of alcohol even during lockdown. Those twenty weeks that that alcohol or liquor sales were banned, people were still accessing alcohol because someone will have a friend who owns, I don't know, a wine cellar, another one who owns a liquor trade uh, supermarket or whatever. So there will still be ways that people work around these things and just do the illegal things. Yeah, and they do it, and it's quite sad because in many instances you find that there's a lockdown already. People already plan for it, and they'll be selling alcohol through the back door. And even with the, in, in those cases, it's shocking how many people would still access it. And I really don't know. Maybe there has to be a cultural revolution in terms of how we relate with alcohol in this country because the issue is quite of a deep-seated and a cultural issue because... Uh, the relationship with South Africans have with alcohol is kind of a traumatic one. That uh, alcohol is kind of has presented itself as a, a healer because many people are suffering, and that's why many of them have given their life to the bottle. And it's a serious cultural issue, and I think we really need to reflect seriously on the issue and look at how apartheid has actually inflicted this type of misery on us. 36 billion uh, rand in losses from the previous ban. Uh, that's from the entire alcohol value chain because we're not just talking alcohol. You know, there's bottling companies, there's packaging companies, there's logistics companies. Do you think that if we go to another lockdown where alcohol is banned, we might see a figure of losses that's even more than 36 billion rand or it would be around that figure? I think the, the losses are going to be massive because the industry is employing a lot of people and once you place a ban, it's like you, you are freezing their economic development. And that's why I'm saying that at this stage, I don't think the country has the luxury mm. to place a ban on alcohol, even though the intersection of its consequences uh, on, on the health care are quite, it's quite clear that if you ban alcohol, people are going to suffer. But at the same time, if you, if you, you ban it, the other people are going to suffer. It's like Kaspidibari, Kihomiamosato, why hapa omolato, why lesa omolato. So they they actually in a serious position. Okay, let's move on. Hashtag Etolls now Minister of uh, Transport, uh, Minister Fikilembalula to set uh, or to make a decision rather on the Gauteng roads in the next two weeks. So he's mentioned that there have been nine possible solutions or to the Etolls impasse. He's going to make a decision. Top of these nine options is uh, the issue to scrap the Etolls. What are the chances that uh, this could be done? Scrapping of the Etolls. I don't think the ANC is the nation. The ANC at a national level is interested in scrapping etols because I think Makura earlier this year said that uh, they don't want the etols to go. They don't want to proceed with etols, and the national government said no. We we want etols, and I think there's been a back and forth and indecisiveness on this issue, and. I don't think in the next two weeks Mbala is going to come up with that uh, final solution that has been happening in the past. They would come, this issue would just go quiet and they'll come and promise a decision 
and they postponed and we forget about it and later they bring it back without any decision. I think they are kind of scared to tell us that they want to proceed with this thing because they they would kind of see the blacklash with in terms of elections if they say they're going to have titles because that's where the voter is going to hurt them mm. because I don't think they are they are ready to implement these things without facing political pressure from the voters. Absolutely. And then the issue of uh, the repayment of the debt to finance uh, the GFIP. If uh, they they don't get the money from government coffers, where else could they uh, be getting the money? Because we've had funding now because of COVID, everything focusing on that from the World Bank and the IMF, uh, World Health Organization stepping in as well. Can they still go to international bodies to get assistance on this or it would be seen as uh, something that's really not an, an issue for anyone that they need to deal with on their own? In the last State of the Nation address, the president spoke about a huge amount of money that is going to be allocated for transport development. And I think the money has to come from there. The president has to put away the money where his mouth is. I don't think we should be going elsewhere to borrow money because that's going to increase our national debt. We should be focusing, we should be more frugal and find ways of developing our road infrastructures within our means of affording. And I don't think we have any luxuries to be borrowing money. And again, the the transport department in many country in many provinces have also been ravaged by allegations of corruption. You can see with uh, the the state entity that is, uh, is is responsible for the transport in South Africa has also been affected by serious corruption. And I think that's where the money is. They should know how to husband the little money they have in order to develop roads in this country. Okay, let's move on. Hashtag Olim Gabi and uh, Matthews Posa. So firstly, uh, Matthews Posa is pursuing legal action against former Concord judge Zach Yakwab over insulting calls. So uh, the... Uh, well, he's already said that he is willing to go and testify before the Judicial Service Commission, uh, former Constitutional Court Justice Zach Yakob uh, said. This was in relation to a phone call that was, uh, you know, allegedly confrontational made by Yakob to Posa on Friday night about uh, the illegal uh, opinion on uh, Ace Mahashule and whether he should uh, fail to voluntarily step aside and what would happen or not. Yeah, I think the judge's behavior is quite bizarre, considering that this matters before the court and the manner in which he involved in he involved himself into the situation is quite strange for a judge. Somebody has to res- respect people's freedom. Somebody has to conduct with himself with the high standard of ethics, and I think he has. As they've said on the show, he has stooped so low, and I think it's he should his matter should be indeed transferred to the JC, and they must take a decision against him. Is he maybe not just you know representing the frustrations of the general South African public? I mean, he is a, a Concord judge. We we don't take that away from him, but he's human as well. Uh, so because also according to Posa Jacob called him and started swearing at him. We don't condone swear words, obviously, but the tone. And the frustration of Jacob, could that not be seen as a representation of the frustration of the South African public in general with everything that's happening within the ANC? I think on this one, he's on his own. 
we could not say that he's representing anyone. Uh, as, as somebody who has served in the Constitutional Court for a number of years, he should respect people's rights that uh, if, for instance, the SD of the ANC has been suspended, and I think it is within his right to take the matter to court, and somebody of, of, of the judge's character should actually allow people to use the legal routes to defend themselves. They are not committing any crime. Whether he disagrees with these people politically, it's another discussion, but in terms of the law, he should be actually somebody who is encouraging people to take legal action because he is a judge not trying to interfere with those legal processes and taking a political posture because we feel like there has to be like Judges should not involve themselves in political matters because they're going to tarnish the, the the image of the judiciary in this country because now it won't be far-fetched to, to suggest that maybe this person is, is part of the third hand against uh, the age of the ANC. And when do they draw those lines? I mean, we speak of the image of the judiciary because on one hand, maybe he was thinking this is a personal call to somebody I know and wasn't thinking it's a professional thing. Well, you never you never leave your legal heart. You're always a legal entity or a legal animal wherever you are. And I, I think here, it's, this is a serious matter. And the manner in which he handled it, it, as I said, is quite bizarre. If he had issues with this, with the Mrs. Posa penning the piece, maybe he could have written another piece in the South African media to give his opinion in a more rational and in a more socially acceptable way. But going to the root of swearing to somebody amounts to intimidation, and I think. Uh, that's very unacceptable of a judge to, to to be conducting himself that way. Okay, because, I mean, the judge does say that it wasn't anything serious to him. It was, uh, the way I'm looking at it, maybe somebody thinking they're a bigger brother, talking to a younger brother, and just saying, but, dude, hang on, your opinion, what, what do you mean when you say that? And then because, you know, the, the person you're talking to gets upset, then you get in turn upset, and it becomes an emotional exchange. And, and that was basically it, according to Jacob. For him, it wasn't too serious. And he's saying that, well, if he's taking it seriously now, it, it's quite unfortunate. I do think that maybe Jacob, for him, this was a personal call from big brother to younger brother. And I don't think he, th- he thought this is now going to be made public. But I guess I, well, mean, I, I hear what you say. I mean, you, if you are in that position of leadership, you have to conduct yourself as you know, somebody knowing that anything you say can be used against you. Of course, uh, Mr. Professor is also saying that uh, he did not introduce himself. So maybe if he said this is so-and-so and I'm calling with regard to ABC and they start having a conversation and that conversation becomes heated, it becomes something else. But just to pick some your phone and call somebody, start uh, verbally abusing them, it's something, uh, it's something quite different. And I think it would be interesting to see how when he's uh, eventually charged, how he's going to defend himself because maybe he has a case that he, he didn't think that this was a serious issue. And if they have a historical friendship or relationship, maybe that could work on his behalf.